0: This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. We just started a series last week called Uncertain, and it's really highlighting, if you will, the church during difficult times. And of course, we know the church are individuals. It's not a building. It's, it's not a place. It's, it's actually individuals. And we're looking at both Old Testament and New Testament individuals and characters. So last week we talked about Job and what he went through in suffering as a righteous man. And then uh, today we're going to be talking about Daniel and his friends as they um, went through exile and, and faced uh, the troubles of uh, Babylon. And then next week we're going to talk about Abraham. And then eventually we're going to move on to Jesus's disciples And then follow up or close our series out with the Apostle Paul and and the difficulties he went through in life and following Jesus. So um, if you will, go ahead and turn to the book of Daniel, and we'll start with a word of prayer and then get into it this morning. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to study your word. God, I pray it's an opportunity for your word to uh, go out through, if you will, through the internet and that... um, the promise that you say your your word will not return void, God. We ask for that. God, we ask this to be an encouraging time, a challenging time, and that your word can sharpen us and 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 build us up, and also correct us and train us in righteousness. Father, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, listen. As we talk about, it, I want to read the first, um, Daniel chapter one and verse one, and and hopefully we're going to pause here and kind of unpack. Uh, a few things before we get into um, several of the chapters. It says this, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, which is, he was the king of um, the Israelites, right? And it says, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, there's, there's two things I want to highlight for the first part of this. I want us to really get a grip and an understanding of these two big things. And, and one is this idea of exile. It says they besie- he besieged the city. Now, it means he he uh, entrapped it or circled it, and there's no way out. And eventually, we are, we're going to see that he took the Israelites um, into exile. And then um, it was into the city of Babylon. Now, um, to understand the exile, I think... We have to see that really this, this theme of exile is really all through the scriptures. And so we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we see where God uh, set up Adam and Eve in this perfect garden, the Garden of Eden, in the, in the presence of his, in his presence, and, and that in his presence there was, there was beauty and majesty and perfection and they enjoyed God and God enjoyed them. And he really only gave them one command, was to avoid this this tree, right? Well, guess what? We all know that Adam and Eve sinned. They rebelled. They they chose to redefine good and evil in their own eyes and believed the lie of Satan over the truth of God. And so what happens was God exiled them. And so we see this picture of exile in Genesis chapter 3. He kicked them out of the garden to the east side of Eden. And so we see this. Where, where does that first exile eventually lead? Well, it leads right to the building of a city called Babylon, right? And so what do we see in this Tower of Babel? We see man again trying to redefine what was right and wrong in their own eyes and set up an earthly kingdom in opposition to God's kingdom, what happens? We see God scatter them through their language and disperses them. And then again, we see God's picture of redemption through one man named Abraham, who he chose uh, to be his, his, his people, the father of his people, for him to be our God and for, uh, for them to be his people. That's what we see here. And so when we see this, we see eventually what happens. Well, they end up In Egypt, right in this new Babylon, again creating uh, something apart from God and His kingdom, not recognizing the the God of the universe, uh, the God, the creator God but beginning to worship the created over the creator and redefining what was right and wrong in their own eyes. And then what happens? God delivers them. He promises them a promised land uh, flown with milk and honey. And guess what? He eventually gives that to them and they set up. And again, all they're commanded to do is to follow God and keep his commandments, right? And guess what inevitably happens? We see right here, um, and eventually, the kingdom um, is is broken. They become, in some ways, their own Babylon, and so Babylon actually comes, if you will, and exiles them. In this, this is what we we see. Well, eventually, obviously, we even know after this story that um, if you if you're not familiar with the story, eventually the the Israelites actually go back to their home country, but they're still, even though physically in their home. They're still under exile because they're still under uh, the rule and reign of another country. And really this idea of exile means uh, to be out of your land, to be out of your native area. And exile is really that feeling of alienation and a longing for something more, no matter where you live. And the strange thing is, is this, is, is what God's really trying to teach us is that exile is really the, the human condition Right? We're, we're broken because we, we're always trying to redefine what's right and wrong in our own eyes. And we're trying to um, push God away in stiff armor. We're saying, we don't need you. We, again, we, we try to find pleasure in things that are created instead of the creator. And so we're all repeating this pattern of human corruption that leads to Babylon's that we can't escape. And our self-centeredness drives us to create false homes based on status and based on power, which inevitably excludes others. And so we really live in this exile of our own making. Uh, This is what happens. We we see this pattern over and over um, in the scriptures. And we see it over and over even in our own life at times. We see, even if you can look through the history, the short history of America, we see this. And... What I want us to understand is that God is trying to communicate things that are bigger, um, from a broad redemptive plan, and all this, and trying to understand. So this one is this idea of exile. The other thing is this this idea of Babylon in the Bible. Babylon has really become a human. Uh, it's really become a symbol of any human institution that demands allegiance uh, to its idolatrous redefining or redefinitions. Of good and evil, and so this is what we see. We see um, the Israelites being exiled into this Babylon, really. Um, and, and and what we see is we see very beginning we see uh, four characters that are kind of main. We see the kings that are all through this. We end up being five kings, including the the king of Judea. I mean uh, of Judah. Um, But there's four Babylonian kings that are highlighted in in this text. But we see four characters. We see David. uh, I'm sorry, we see Daniel, uh, who all four of these are from the lineage of David. But we see Daniel, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, we know Daniel's um, new Babylonian name is Belshazzar. Okay, so we, we see this. Now, What's interesting is 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 when you see this, you you see them move to a new land, and, and really they become a minority, um, not because of necessarily their skin color, but because of their belief system that they believe in one true living God, and and they're thrown in with all these other gods, these kind of little gods, if you will, and so they're being bombarded in this, and when we're we're talking about this way of the exile, um, what what we see is Daniel and his friends they they experienced both persecution and prosperity. I mean, there was this up and down almost like what we talked about last week with with job. there was both blessing and cursing it seemed like, right? this um, incredible blessing but also suffering. And this is what we see um, during this time and and what happens is during these these circumstances, typically you see people go one of two uh, channels. We see, Either people begin to revolt against the exile, against the people, uh, against that government, or we see um, people begin to adopt all everything. In other words, they compromise. They just kind of give in to whatever the, the worldview is of that exiled uh, country that they've been brought into. Um, and really what I think God is trying to teach us, through this text, is there there's really should be this tension. Uh, this tension is between uh, loyalty and subversion. In other words, um, Daniel, um, as he was shown these visions and these dreams, he, he knew ultimately God was going to send a Messiah that would set up a, a kingdom of peace. Um, and, and understanding that while he was in exile— Things to seem to be a little disoriented. Uh, they seem to be unknown, and so he was really kind of saying, "God, you know, how do I live this life in exile?" And that, and that brings meaning to us as well today. Now, I think for us to understand a good picture, we also have to look at some other prophets. Jeremiah is one of those prophets. He, had, he had prophesied about this exile that they would be facing, and in 587 B.C. is when the exile happened, and so. Uh, Jeremiah lived through uh, both before and the beginning of this exile. But this is the verse and this is what Jeremiah uh, gave or what the Lord gave to Jeremiah to, to teach his people. And it, and it goes like this. It says, Jeremiah, we all know Jeremiah 29, 11, you know, the plans I half for you. But um, there's, there's a verse before that in verse 7, it says this. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. So I think what we see already in in the prophecy of and the word of the Lord through Jeremiah is this idea of serve, this idea of seeking the well-being, and then ultimately what we're going to see is this idea of loyalty. And so um, I want to share with you the big idea today, okay? The big idea is this, in this world of exile, we should serve others, we should seek the well-being and their well-being as we stay loyal to Jesus and the hope he brings. See, ultimately we need to understand that Jesus, when he described this world, they were, when he came into this world in a physical sense, when he became flesh and blood, he dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. He came in an exiled world, both from a, a Jewish standpoint, but also the fact that um, as as he describes, he is not of this world, world right? In other words, um, even through the New Testament, it says we're not of this world. We're sojourners. Uh, we're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of another kingdom. And so Understanding in this world of exile, we need to serve others and seek their well-being, but ultimately our loyalty and our hope and our trust should be in Jesus, right, and what he brings for us. So let's go ahead and continue in in reading um, Daniel and and kind of the encounters him and his friends had with uh, the government and with the powers that would be uh, during this time of exile, um, we also need to remind, be reminded that Daniel and his friends never lost hope in God's plan for his people, and both in the provision uh, of times where he provided, and also during, which was kind of a prosperity time, and also during the persecution, uh, they never lost hope in the good or bad times of what God was going to provide for them. So Daniel 1.8 says this. Now, They were selected because they are of the lineage of David and their royal families, Um, and then um, we see that um, as as we read, we see this, verse eight, chapter one. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, or the wine that he drank, or with the wine that he drank. Now, um, I want you to write this down. Write this down. A refusal to put hope in an earthly king. Daniel refused, or there was a refusal of putting hope in an earthly king. Now, there's more to it than just not eating food here. Um, There was really a pressure to give up his identity in God when it says he would not defile himself with the king's food. I know um, there's several different takes on this. One is, some people just think it was because it was kosher food, right? It was um, non-kosher food. And so there's, um, But what we see, if we look a little closer, that could be a take on it. But we understand a lot of the kosher things are even today in the Jewish heritage or even the days of Jesus was developed over that time. Uh, another way of maybe looking at this would be that, that meats were sacrificed to I- idols. Now, that's a, a big deal in the New Testament, but not necessarily a, a big deal in the Old Testament. Um, but, but I think the third way of looking at this really is I think the most accurate is this, that the king's food represented an accepting of the king's friendship and really his loyalty to the king himself. In other words, that he was going to trust the king more than he trusted God. So Daniel does not refuse the training of the king. He doesn't refuse a new name, but he draws a line at eating the king's food because it's a public declaration of his dependency um, on the king. Um, so Daniel's saying to Nebuchadnezzar, I, I don't put my trust in you. I put my trust in Lord, in God, in, in the God who's created all. Now, what's interesting is if, if you read in verses uh, 15, it goes on to say that um, at the end of the 10 days, he asks them basically to say, can I just eat this particular food for 10 days, even though all the other ones Uh, captives eat all these other foods because I don't want to defile myself. Ultimately, I don't want to say that my loyalty lies in the earthly king, but the king of kings, right? He says this, at the end of the 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youth who ate the king's food. Now, Fatter and flesh—that makes me feel kind of good because I feel that kind of these days. But it's really this idea of healthier. It means that they—they they were healthier in every way. Um, and you recall Joseph's vision of the fat cows. That means they—they they were healthy, right? And this is what it means that they were healthier in every way. Now, um, I, I think it's interesting that the scriptures talk about in First Corinthians six seventeen that you. He who unites himself with the Lord is one with him him in spirit. So in other words, we take Jesus everywhere we go. We take his spirit everywhere we go as Christians. And so we need to understand that decisions that we make in private can express our real loyalties and express where they really lie. And so many times we don't think about our private decisions sometimes, um, but they really can express where our real, real loyalties, our real trust uh, lies in. Um, it, it also shows me that this, that private decisions uh, do have public consequences. We, we saw, see, again, this was done in private, but it had a public display of the blessing because he did the right thing in God's eyes and God blessed him uh, for it. So this is the first story we see that uh, they had a challenge. Their challenge was, Do I express my loyalty to the earthly king or to the heavenly king? And this is where we see Daniel choosing loyalty to God versus loyalty to an earthly king. Uh, The next area is in in chapter 3. Now again, we're going to be highlighting um, kind of several major sections of the scripture. Another one is in um, this idea, chapter 3, where... Nebuchadnezzar, again, still under Nebuchadnezzar rule at this point, and we, we see Nebuchadnezzar create this golden image of himself, and, and they he, he demands that everyone bows down. Now, we don't see Daniel in the story of this particular story. Maybe Daniel was away doing the work of the king because he was eventually elevated in chapter 2 because he tells um he tells the king what his dream was because he got it from God, and no credit was due him. He said, "It's all from the wisdom of um, the Creator God, the one he served and lived for, the the God of the Israelites." And so we we see this, and so we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that were in this story, and and of course again they these these other um, people that where part of the royal court had it out for Daniel and his friends constantly trying to get him to trip up It reminds me a lot of the Sadducees and Pharisees that tried to constantly try to trip Jesus up but they kept trying to set him up so somehow they they could be removed or killed um so they wouldn't be in power anymore now um what what we see is again they made made this decree that that um or I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar made this decree that everyone shall, shall bow down. And of course, they saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not doing this. And it says this, uh, verse 12, it says, there were certain Jews whom had been appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So what we see right here is this refusal, right, to worship the empire, or a refusal to, if you will, worship um, some worldview other than a godly worldview. Um, this is a reminder for us that we, we should not bow down to the gods of our day. We must, not, we must stand strong in the face of immense social and cultural uh, pressure, um, and even political pressure at times, to, to bow into um, something other than God himself and his worldview, and and how he is over everything and in charge of everything. Now, we see in verse 17, it says this. Now, what happens was they were handed over to be burned uh, into this fire. It says because Nebuchadnezzar's um, anger burned fast, it said. He was furious that they wouldn't do this. In verse 17, it says, if this be so, our God. Now, this is again saying they're going to go into this fire furnace. Now, I love, I love this. This is um, incredible confidence in God, but also trust that even things don't work out like they want them to, or God doesn't answer um, their prayer like they want uh, Him to. They still trust Him, and this is this is really, to me, I think probably one of the most powerful. Verses and texts in the Old Testament, an incredible picture of trusting God's sovereignty and that he's good. And we can trust him no matter what the earthly outcome is here. Because they were looking forward to the home they had in heaven one day with God in his presence, not, not here. And they knew that they were just sojourners, right? They're just in exile physically, but spiritually in, in their soul or in, in exile, if you will. It says this, if this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of the hand, out of your hand, O King. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Isn't that incredible? So they're saying this: that we trust God and we know that he's going to deliver us. We we trust and we know he can and he will. But even if he doesn't, don't think that our God's still not in control. And we trust him even if we have to die. I love that. Um, it's really understanding that there's a worldview that's being pushed on us. And we see, in fact, in later in, in in the end of the Bible, in Revelations chapter 17, we see this Babylonian spirit, uh, a seductive culture that is actively engaged in, in deception and destruction of God's people. Um, in fact, it says that Babylon rides, she rides on a beast, uh, meaning that she is propped up by forces that are anti-Christian, anti-God, um, a government that may be anti-God or anti-Christian, and, and they she rides in on this. And I, I love that because w- what they're saying is this, that we trust God in God's way, and if we have to die, we die. So it's God's way or death, either one. And and what's beautiful about that is this, not trying to be uh, somehow sick or anything because no one wants to die, but we're all eventually going to face that. But I was reading just this week um, in uh, Philippians chapter 1, and and, and Paul has, has dealt with this. He's like, you know, the live is Christ, but the die is gain, right? But I stay back because I want to see his church grow. I want to see people grow and, and make disciples. And so I'm going to stay, and I want to stay. But I know there eventually comes a day when it's going to be great gain to be in the presence of God. And this is really what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saying. Now, I love down the end of this, and it says that they turned up the heat even hotter. They put him in the fiery furnace. In fact, some of the guards died because it was so hot. And it says this... And, and it says that king was astonished and rose up. He saw a fourth person. It says this, And he answered and said, But I see a four four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they were not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. And what we see here is we see God protecting his people. Um, and, and, and we eventually see that they're asked to come out. And it says that their clothes weren't touched. They didn't even smell like smoke. Um, and he and he basically, he 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 fell at their presence and said, "We, your God is above every God. And he elevated them. Now, what's crazy about that is I, I love campfires. My family loves campfires. And I can get a jacket and be around it for a few hours and, and then I can wash it. And even after I wash it, it still has smoke in it. And it says here that there was no evidence of any of that punishment that was supposed to be dished out on them that uh, God... Protected them, and and, you know this is what we see. We see uh, human beings uh, using force and power and the threat of death to try to get people to bend um, to uh, their worldview. We we've seen this over in Afghanistan and Iraq, where um, people that are radicals going and capturing Christians and threatening them to. To convert over, if not die. And we see them actually killing them and being martyred for their faith. Um, now, what's interesting in in the middle of Daniel is we see two chapters. Um, we see uh, chapter four, where it's Nebuchadnezzar, and we, we see um, chapter five, where his son um, is is faced with something very similar. His name is uh, Belshazzar, not Belt Shazzar, like. Daniel, but Belshazzar, and so we we see them uh, kind of facing exact same test, but two different outcomes. What we see in the middle of this is in chapters four and five we we see Nebuchadnezzar, who has this dream and he needs an interpretation of this. And so when he when when Daniel gives it to him, he basically says, "Hey, because of your." incredible pride and in your lack of humility before the God of the universe. God is going to make you, if you will, into a wild beast. And so you're going to go out through the fields and it's not going to be until you humble yourself that God's going to restore your life. And then we see uh, Belshazzar, um similar situation where he's, he's feasting with his friends after he's become king and there's this right on the wall and, and Daniel comes in and says, listen, because of your pride and your unwillingness to humble yourself before an almighty God, um, you're going you're gonna to die, and, and this kingdom is going to be taken from you. And so that's exactly what happens. We see Nebuchadnezzar, who eventually humbles himself, repents, and is restored. And we see his son, who doesn't. And he eventually is murdered the same night that he has uh, this, this uh, writing on the wall, so to speak. And so this is this is what happens. Now, what's interesting in the middle of that is we see a pattern of this that those who refuse to trust God and, and refuse to acknowledge his kingdom and refuse to humble themselves before an almighty God, they eventually turn into beasts. Uh, we, we've seen this all through human history, right? They've become beasts. They kill each other. We even see this in cities and rural areas where people just hurt each other because of Uh, their own selfishness, drugs, gangs. We we see this because of power and money. People step on each other. They abuse each other. They kill each other. They act like pure beast. Um, But we see the promise of God who's going to deal with the beast, right? We see this in the end of Daniel, um, but we also see this in the end of Revelation where God is going to come up. His promise is that he's going to set up his kingdom his kingdom will never end, um, and we'll be in his presence forever, and he's going to deal with the beast, okay? He's going he's to crush uh, this beast. So this is what we see. You see, really, um, humans are, are really made in the world image of God uh, to rule and reign on God's behalf. We see this again in Genesis, uh, but human beings rebel and make themselves God. Try to, and they become beasts. So human beings have human beings have suffered through generations because of the human uh, because of human uh, kingdoms that have rebelled again and again against God and become like beasts. Now I want to finish out um, this teaching this morning in in chapter six because I think this is a great closure to. Um, what we see Daniel facing during this these difficult times. And this is um, Daniel six. I' um, we'll read chapters ten. I'm gonna, I'm sorry, verses ten and verses twenty two. But before even I do that, I want to back up because this is where um, King Darius, a new king who's who's setting up Daniel um, to be over everything. And in fact, it says here that, uh, a little line, and I just noticed this as I was studying this week. It says this: "And the king planned to set him, meaning uh, Daniel, over the whole kingdom." So here we go. He's given him authority. He's 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 elevating him because of Daniel's faithfulness and his his character and his loyalty um, to the true God. And he knows he's not going to somehow try to usurp his authority in the sense of backstabbing him or forming a coup because. He trusts God more than he he trusts the king, earthly kings. But what we see is, again, people becoming jealous of Daniel and his friends. And they heard this, they knew this, and so they were going to try to set him up. And so, of course, they they sweet-talk King Darius into making this rule, basically, that that everyone um, must uh, worship him or bow down to him. And, of course, they knew Daniel wasn't going to do that. So they, once he signed it in the law, they knew they had him. So verse 10, it says this, when Daniel knew that the document or the law had been signed. Now it's interesting, Daniel says, or it says about Daniel, Daniel knew it had been signed. He, he knew it had become a law, but he's trusting God. He's not trying to hide it. In fact, it says here, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chambers open toward Jerusalem. He wasn't trying to hide his faith. It was, in, it was in broad daylight, right? He wasn't, he wasn't praying uh, like the Pharisees or Sadducees, like on the corner, to try to draw attention to himself, but he wasn't hiding it. This was a part of his normal pattern to pray to God uh, each and every day. And it says this, he got on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his, his God as he had done previously. So just because there was a new law, he didn't change um, his commitment, his loyalty, loyalty to, to God himself. And so we see this. Um, so I, I, want, I want you to write this down. Uh, Daniel had a refusal to surrender to man's law when it contradicts, contradicted God's law. Um, he, he wasn't going to surrender um, to man's law when it contradicted uh, God's law. Now, we, we know we're, we're in a time right now and have been times in the past where we're struggling maybe uh, with, with the government and some of their decisions they're making. And so I want you to understand that the Scriptures are very clear. In Romans 13, and even Jesus himself, he says that we, we need to uh, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And, and Paul says, hey, as, as God has established the authorities in our government because all authority is coming from God, then we need to obey the laws, right? We need to obey government. Now, what we need to be reminded is that Jesus says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God. So what he's saying there is this, God owns it all. God is in control of it all. And so like we talked about last week, everything has to filter through the hands of God. And so we, we trust that all authority comes from God. Um, not only is it subject to God, but... It's instituted by God, so he's set up by God. Now, with that, okay, we see in Acts 4 and 5 where um, they tried to shut the disciples down from preaching the gospel, right? And so the government does have limits over us. In other words, when it's asking us to um, obey its law or be loyal to it over God, this is where we see Daniel, this is where we see uh, disciples of refusing in the book of Acts to obey it. In fact, we even see Jesus himself being arrested, right? Claiming that he was God, which he is, but also refusing uh, to bow down to the local government. We see this happen to all the disciples except for one, all martyred for their faith because they refused to obey the laws of the land over um, to... I mean, they they refused to obey the laws of the land because they were going to cause them to disobey God's law. And we even see this in in Paul's life himself. So we see this. So uh, we need to understand that when it comes to God's law versus man's law, we trust God's law first and we, we put it as as um, higher than man's law. But we need to also understand that in our obedience to uh, the local government, that there is a form of worship in that. In other words, as we obey God, because all authority is given from God, and so when we obey the law, we're worshiping God in that. And there's, a ra- there's some rare, op- rare times when, when when the government becomes evil, right? When it's asking us to disobey God's law, um, then we have to say, no, we, we trust God more than we trust man, uh, but those are few and far between, typically. But ultimately, we see Daniel put trust in God himself. Now, I want I want to talk to you about this. that we as Christians right now, we we live in this exile world, right? Um, and, and this is not our true home. Um, we're sojourners and that we're, we're hoping one day that God's going to create this new heaven and this new earth, and we, we get to be with him. And so I want to encourage you, and you, encourage you in that today. So I want to ask you this big question. This is the big question. Uh, in a world that can turn upside down in just a moment, where do you find your true north? In other words, where do you find your direction to know what to do and what not to do? Uh, what decision to make and what decision not to make. So uh, I I love the outdoors, but I remember early on uh, in the outdoors, this is before the days of smartphones and even mobile phones were being really popular. um, I was in a situation where I was hunting in new property. I was with a friend that had never taken me here before. And it was kind of toward the end of the day. And we went and set up um, to see if we could uh, harvest some deer. Got laid. I'm a guy who tends to stick around uh, as long as I can the last daylight. I was in an unfamiliar uh, territory. And, and when that it, the darkness came, there was the cloud cover. So that means it was a really dark, dark night. And I was in the midst of these big forests and trees. And, and, and I began to get disoriented. I began to get turned around. I didn't know where to go. And so I stopped and paused for a moment, gathered my thoughts, and as I began to think about I knew there had to be some type of reference point from where I came in and where I needed to return. And realized and remembered that there was this main road we had come off of, and I was familiar with that highway. In other words, there was a marker point, if you will, a true north that referenced everything off that. And I realized when I began to hear the noise of the road, the noise of the cars going up and down the highway, I could use that as a reference point. And this is this is what I think the book of Daniel is trying to communicate to us and Daniel himself is saying listen we have to have a true north and that true north has to be God it has to be Jesus and we have to trust in him uh, for our future we have to trust in him more than we trust in our own government and man-made kings Um, and we need to trust him even more than we trust ourselves and even when it seems to be dangerous to follow God Um, and could risk it all, but we have to trust God more than we trust ourselves. So where is your true north? Is it in yourself? Is it in the things of this world? Or is it in God himself? let Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for all your goodness. Thank you for your graciousness and your kindness to us. God, I pray you'll challenge our hearts to trust in you. You are our true north, Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care and God bless. We love you guys. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening and God bless you.